0: Consequence Podcast Network.
1: While I was home, laying very still and feeling <laughs> sorry for myself. How was the Sense8 finale at the music box?
2: Oh god, it was great. I've never seen a such a beautiful display of like a collective fandom just assembling like hundreds of people assembling in the same theater to watch this thing that every single moment someone new came in or someone old returned, there was a cheer. And uh, yeah, it was just a weird, like, collection of, it was a beautiful collection of love in the room.
1: So, are you saying it was a cluster of love? It
2: was. It was a cluster, but it was not a clusterfuck.
1: That's great. Welcome to TV Party. Worthington. And we are joined this week by one of our rotating band of miscreants, Dominic Suzanne Mayer. Say hi Dom.
0: Thanks for having me as always Uh, y'all. I'm
1: very excited to do what I'm gonna assume is minimal to talking about Atlanta this week. It'll be a first. Yeah. However, I, I don't know if you know this, but we did manage to find a way to make sure that you can stay on brand in that other all-important way of yours. Yes. Oh, I'm
0: already aware and I'm very excited you're to get there welcome. before long.
1: Cool. Um, so this is one of our halt and catch up episodes. Mm-hmm. If you're new to the fun and games, it means it means that we're t- it means it means it means that we're talking about the month and TV as a whole, some things that we missed, some things we really liked. We make totally arbitrary decisions about things like the episode of the month or the performance of the month, which in this month means absolutely nothing because there was a bunch of really good shit on. Yeah. Um, But I'm excited to talk about that stuff. Are you all ready?
2: I'm very ready.
1: Let's talk about some news first, shall we? (laughs) Yeah. As a a kickoff, um, I'd like to start by saying, fuck you, Dominic Suzanne Mayer. (laughs) I had this great bit planned. I never carry cash because it's 2018. And... I happen to have some in my purse and I thought I'm going to show up to TV party when it comes time to do, it comes time to do the bit. I'm going to reach into my bra where one keeps cash and I'm going to take out like four sweaty boob sweaty dollars and I'm going to say I have money in my hand. If either of you can correctly guess the next NBC live musical event, I will give you the sweaty boob money. And just to make sure I wasn't going to blow this bit by saying something somebody already knew, I checked with Clint in advance. Did yeah. he know? Had he seen it? And he said, no, I have not. And then Dom walks in, who's not a musical person. And I was like, hey, I just I just need to ask, do do you know what the next NBC musical is? That is a yes or no question. And he said... Yeah, Yeah, it's hair, right? So Yeah, it's hair, right? And then I just screamed. It's noon on a Saturday in Chicago. I'm really sorry, Clint's neighbors. I screamed, fuck you! Why did you do that?
2: I curled up in a fetal ball of defeat. It's It's
0: legitimately the only time you'll ever ask me a musical question, and I'll nail it right out of the gate unless it's about cop rock, so I feel really special that I've ruined this. I can't help but
2: feel that you took money out of my pocket.
0: I really do. <laughs> you did. wouldn't
1: have guessed it. That's No, thing. it's true.
2: My guess was Spider-Man Turn Off the
1: Dark. <laughs> oh, God. Well, that's, that's a my facetious go-to. guess. I, okay. have,
2: I have deprived
0: you of shirt dollars, and I'm really sorry, Clint. Thank so, you. So
1: <laughs> part of the reason that I came up with this is I did this with Tom last night. I said, "If you, I'm going to give you money if you can guess what it is. And he said, Little Shop of Horrors. And I said, no. And he said, "Fan of the Opera. And I said, no. And he went on. Oklahoma. Carousel. Like, just guessed a whole bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Rent. Annie. And I did have to say for rent, well, no, that's going to be at Fox, but. And he kept guessing. He got all the way to 10. And I was like, no, it's hair. And he went, what? Which is how I feel. Here's that like, if there's one thing, you don't count. You're a theater person. Mm-hmm. If there is one thing that you know about hair, what is it?
0: That it's like an unusually erotic musical.
1: Sort of. It's the naked one. For yes. sure. Mm-hmm. It's the one with all the naked Yes. So fitting boob sweat dollars, in yeah. that in that respect, I didn't even think that that was very on topic.
2: Yeah, like like the tidal hair kind of has an invisible pubic in parentheses in front of it.
1: Sort of, except for it's also about like afros and long. flower Yeah, child also hair
2: true, though. but yeah.
1: Um, wearing your hair down, like it's all of that. But yeah.
0: I mean, long beautiful like, hair can be located anywhere. I'm just right. saying.
1: It's it's like a boobs and butts and wang show, right? And it's all like.
2: Which
0: was the Tranquil. working title? And then
1: yes, it is absolutely an erotic musical. There's that. There's that fucking There's that one.
0: Um, <laughs> Can't wait to see that one on NBC.
1: Uh, promise you, it's going to get cut. <laughs> I promise boobs, you, it's going to get
0: wings. cut. wangs. <laughs> I mean, we just started showing wait, that one in more movies. time. Like, boobs, butts, wangs. Great.
1: Thank you. Just start charging for it. They're going to be in your bell. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
0: Copyright. You can add an and to that and more you know it, too. Boobs, butts, Boots and wings. wings. There you go. It works both ways. I love it.
1: Um, instead of must-see TV, it can be can't-unsee TV. Yeah,
3: perhaps. Um,
1: you know what? The score for Hair, there are some really good ones in there. And it is, in the press release, it's a, it is a genuinely groundbreaking musical. It put the public theater, the pubic theater of New mm. York, on the map. Um, a good production of hair is like fucking mind blowing. Uh, it shouldn't be on NBC. It shouldn't. They shouldn't be doing a live hair on television at all. I yeah. don't understand it. Neither do I. Because what are they get? Are they gonna put them in body suits? Like, is everybody gonna wear a wig that covers all their shit?
2: Everyone's gonna be pixelated,
1: no. just entirely. No,
0: <laughs> just a festival of Americans. I it's think just, that's what it's we're just gonna in be for. heads
2: floating on giant pixel clouds. <laughs>
0: For two hours. It's going to be like when they show the room on Adult Swim every year and they have to pixelate all of the sex. So you're oh, just watching a blur Y-Zo
1: periodically. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I assume they'll probably be doing the concert thing again. But again, I don't think NBC realized that what they think of as a concert version is just what music theater looks like in the real world. Because mm-hmm. um, that's like, you go see a very good, even sort of arty production of Jesus Christ Superstar anywhere and it's going to look a lot like that. Different concept, act, obviously, but right. it's going to look a lot like that. and I just, I don't get, like, I get, maybe they'll be in, maybe they'll stand in a line and they'll all have on, like, loose, flowy, cotton sacks that are roughly the color of their skin. Yeah, maybe
2: they'll rise it and they'll have to, like, make a oh PG. Oh, God. Totally Literally hosed.
1: <laughs> I think it's totally hosed. I think yeah. it's going to be totally like hosed. Like rise. Although, you know what? If John Legend is in it, first of all, give me that John Legend butt. I want to yeah. see some John Legend butt. <laughs> Immediately. And second, whatever. He's bought a lot of goodwill from me. He is good in that, but more importantly, as like a producer of the thing. I feel like you can see his fingerprints all over it in terms of the way the music is handled and all of that shit. So yeah, Mm -hmm. if he's involved, I'm on board. And And I don't know if he is. Just
0: hear me out. Hair, but they still crucify John Legend at the end. (laughs) Oh God.
2: Every play is just John Legend getting crucified at the end. Um,
1: He's naked on a cross. He's naked on a cross. He's naked on on a a cross.
2: Um, I can't help but wonder if just the NBC execs forgot what hair is and just remembered the name of the musical. And they're no, like, yes, greenlit.
1: I think what happened is they went, man, Jesus Christ Superstar was such a success. Let's look for something else that had pop hits from the 60s and 70s. And they mm-hmm. went, what's next on those hair? Great. Let's do that. Didn't even open the Wikipedia page.
2: Yeah. They were so, like,
1: oh, 60s? Sounds good. <laughs> Maybe they do what
2: I do on occasion when I'm not paying attention and confuse hair and fame. Because they're both four letter word titles of musicals. Same. I'm
1: going to live until the moon is in the seventh house.
2: <laughs> I'm is... going to
1: learn to have hair. Fame.
2: <laughs> this is now a musical party.
1: <laughs> you know. 100% would subscribe mm-hmm.
0: i feel like since the beginning you've been slowly trying to drag it there as a Just, collective anyway I'm sorry. so
1: the culture is trying to drag it there yeah. are you kidding <laughs> this isn't even the only musical thing that we are gonna talk about this week yeah like it's not like no uh, it's not that's not me <laughs> that is life um so that is one piece of news we have a lot of news so apologies for all the jokes but i'm mm. sorry one more time clint what is the new nbc theme song
2: Boobs, butts, wangs. Great.
1: Let's move on to uh, a very special gift for Claire, Clint Worthington personally.
2: Yesterday was a really good day for enda- for endangered sci-fi shows that fans love, um, that I specifically love, because I saw the Sense8 finale, which was a fan-demanded finale to with, a show that was canceled.
1: With frequent guest of the show, Kate Kulzik.
2: Indeed. And we we had a wonderful time. But also- Wait, did you
1: have Hawaiian pizza?
2: No, they didn't have Hawaii. I forgot that they don't have Hawaiian pizza at Coal Fire, but I did ha- we did order the Nduya pizza which is very very good. Cool. Um go to Coal Fire and if you're in Chicago, it's good pizza. Anyway, The Expanse is officially 100% renewed. Woo-hoo! We announced they announced it yesterday. There was like a conference, it was like the International Space Development Conference where the cast of The Expanse was like to do a panel on like the science of The Expanse and Jeff Bezos was there and during the talk like during, when Jeff Pieces was talking he's like hey um I know when we like first came to this conference we knew that we were in talks and stuff I just found out 10 minutes ago that we're officially acquired and like the cast gets up from their tables there's a video it's amazing they're so, so they, happy
1: they found out on camera right there oh, yes that's charming. and
2: it's beautiful and they're so happy they're beaming and so is I like coming back from the sense finale to find out that that had happened while that while I was watching that was it was christmas it was christmas um so it's coming back to it's going to amazon for a fourth season and potentially beyond because the main reason why amazon picked it up is because bezos loves the books bees loves the books and uh so apparently like you know if if you have amazon money and you can continue the tv adaptation of your favorite book series then you're gonna do it so that's very good news for me thanks jeff and also for the washington post
1: um, I am super excited about that for you. And also because... So Tom and I are starting. Oh, yeah. Good. I couldn't start this week, but I'm going to... He's like three episodes ahead of me. I'm going to start this next week. And mm-hmm. I was not looking forward to like watching the show that everyone loves so much and getting to the end and being like... Meh, meh. Mm-hmm. So that's great news. We're good. No word yet on Timeless. Yeah. Um, if you like Timeless or if you listen to us glow about Timeless and have thought I should start. Uh, I just want to remind you that the first season is good but not great. The second season is great um, and the creators of the show are releasing a deleted scene every day until oh. the announcement comes out so you can follow Timeless on Twitter and see that shit. That's awesome. Um, God the next thing on our list we should talk about last. I'm not sure I want to talk about it at Yeah, all. I just fine. don't have it in me. Let's do something else happy.
2: Let's do something <laughs> that appeals to Dom.
1: Yeah. Talk to me what? about the weirdest. I had to ask you yeah. what it was because because I didn't think it could possibly be real. You were
2: like, what is this?
0: And tell I had to explicate me, it.
1: Tell me about this news item. So- okay.
0: Oh, go, so, go please. Well, I'm going to jump in real quick. So we're talking Survivor. Yeah. And I'm going to just jump in real fast because it ended last week. And as long as we're talking about Survivor, I can get on my soapbox for 30 seconds to talk <laughs> about how Ghost Island was one of the worst shows, worst seasons of the show, rather, that they have run in years. Oh, shit. Survivor for a couple seasons now has been on a pretty entertaining upswing, at least until this most recent one. But they've also been increasingly plagued by the fact that it's been on for 36 guys goddamn seasons now so they're trying to come up with variants on how to shake the game up and the problem is what that has led to is so many idols and secret advantages in play that there's an entire game happening beneath the actual game and it's making it increasingly convoluted and tedious to watch and you're not really getting personalities which is the real reason you watch anything like Survivor because of the fact that you the show spends most of every hour every week either showing you ads for NCIS New Orleans or trying <laughs> to explain to you who has what secret thing. And hey, we've covered that ground. Bacula got to get paid. Bacula Dug got to get paid. But be it as it may, the next season looks like they're actually going to try to shake the formula up a little bit. Whether it works or is terrible remains to be seen because the theme of the next Survivor season is David versus Goliath. And it's going to include a number of celebrity guests. What? One is venerable screenwriter Mike White, writer so of such films as School of Rock. <laughs> Director of Brad's status. Yeah. And so Mike White will be a Survivor guest. And there's always like a nebishy guy on each season of Survivor now. And he gets a whole story about how he's overcoming his lifelong fears. And it's all fine. That is not what you bought me to talk about when it comes to Survivor David no. versus Goliath, though. Also on the coming season will be professional wrestler John Hennigan slash Johnny Nitro slash Johnny Impact, depending on where he's working. Neither here nor there. Oh, we
1: saw him in the thing.
0: Yes. We saw him
1: in the 27 hours of wrestling we watched.
0: Yes, you did. And also, he was on Glow Season 1 in the pilot episode, fun fact, as their extremely sexy trainer with an (laughs) impeccable (laughs) pelvic V, because he has one, and my God, he has like 14 abs and it's horrifying. (laughs) But it's really going to be hard to watch him on that show and not see him on Lucha Underground, because that's his current day job. And Lucia Underground, I've talked about on TV Party before for those who didn't hear my last spiel about it. It's a show on El Rey that serializes wrestling storytelling and all takes place in a haunted Boyle Heights warehouse in Los Angeles where the guy who runs it may be a demon. His half-brother is an actual demon monster. Uh, There's a dragon luchador who's an actual in-canon dragon when he's not in the ring doing lucha stuff, and more than one character has died. So it's the best wrestling on TV right now for my money, and John Morrison, nay Hennigan, the future Survivor star, has been one of its most pivotal players since it launched several years ago.
2: Beautiful. See, I brought, I I thought that news would appeal to you as a fan of wrestling, but I didn't know you were also a survivor fan.
0: I'm also extremely a survivor fan and regularly watch it to this day, yes. Yeah, okay,
2: cool. Well, then I'm glad I was able to bring this gift to you.
1: This is like my wrestling. Uh, Natalie Dormer is going to be starring in and producing a series about Vivian Lee, which, stop for a second, picture Natalie Dormer. Now, put her in dark hair and in a dress made out of curtains
0: she's dead on she
1: looks a lot like Vivian Lee yeah yeah I, I, can I see would it. never have occurred to me
0: I also can't wait to see who's gonna play a hopefully terrible Alfred Hitchcock in this <laughs> scenario yeah,
1: also a hopefully terrible Marlon Brando
3: mm-hmm
1: all kinds of hopefully terrible yeah yeah um, maybe we'll get an actually awesome Jessica Tandy too that would be cool yeah Um Anyway, that, there's very little out about it but that, but it's yeah, nice, she's yeah. going to be producing and starring in a television series about Vivian Leigh. I well, and it's cool news it coming me off me the heels
2: now. of Picnic at, Picnic at Hanging rocks
1: Yeah, so. she's yeah. got a movie out this week, too. Everything's coming up Dormer.
3: Oh.
1: Yeah. Anyway, nice. going to go, Natalie Dormer? Yeah. Uh, we've already talked about hair. Um, this is just like a little thing. If you didn't experience Twin Peaks when it was on Showtime and you haven't binged it since then, mm-hmm. uh, they are doing a four year consideration marathon that they're also just p- putting on TV where they're airing all 18 hours in a row. It's on well. June two. Um, if you want to have the strangest June 2nd of your life <laughs> where every year on June 2nd, you think, wow, this time 20 S- years <laughs> ago, I was in our 12 of the Twin Peaks marathon. Mm
0: hmm. Right around 2 or 3 p.m., you'll watch an apocalyptic hour of television. It'll be great. Hooray! Y'all have um, the rest of the day to ruminate on it.
1: Anyway, uh, we at Consequences of Sound are big fans of Twin Peaks, and mm-hmm. I personally love the new—love is not the right word—was enthralled by—was enthralled of—there uh. we go—of the—of the... Um, of the R- revival mm. of The Return. The return. Uh, so that's on June 2nd. Um, John Malkovich is playing Poirot.
2: Interesting. That rules. is that yeah. good casting? That's a fascinating... That absolutely rules.
0: That's really rules. good casting.
1: Yeah. I was like, that's going to be so weird.
2: <laughs> well,
0: and especially after Kenneth Brana doing the most self-congratulatory interpretation of Poirot I've seen in a long time last year, I'm really interested to see someone get back to the Poirot I grew up watching on PBS Mysteries where it was just this guy with exceedingly poor social skills stepping in to solve crimes. That's great.
1: So it's going to be a three-part drama. It's BBC One, so we'll probably get it on mm-hmm. BBC America, but you never know. It might be a um, masterpiece. You never really can tell. Right. But here's the thing. I saw the headline. I was like, great, we're definitely talking about that. I opened the article, and then I left it, and I didn't read it, and I just flipped to it. Malkovich is playing Poirot as Inspector Chrome, Rupert Grint. What? Rupert grinned. Ron. The once and former Ronald Weasley. <laughs> Star of
2: Thunderpants.
1: John Malkovich. Just b-
2: genius. You know
1: how you have that thing where like your brain short circuits and it's like part from joy, part from confusion? Yeah. That's what I'm experiencing. I think we need you a blue. I have that feeling like, a lot during Twin floor. Peaks, actually. Yeah. Um I can't even. <laughs> like, I'm just trying to picture them in a scene together.
3: It's bizarre. and it's
1: and for whatever reason, the Rupert Grant I'm picturing is Ron in Chamber of Secrets after they catch the car, crash the car and he's got his broken wand. <laughs> and I'm just seeing John Malkovich like looking at him, like he does in being John Malkovich, right? Where he's like real. Bleh. No, let's yeah. do Connie or John Malkovich. Yeah, let's do Connie. Yeah, or. and then and then Rupert Grant doing this thing
2: in full sigh That's the Anara sound mode.
1: equivalent of when you do that. When you knew the Natalie Dorber thing, only you're a child, so it's cute and not sexy. Uh, but yeah. now he's an adult.
2: So maybe it's sexy?
0: No, hey, it's, no.
1: it's 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 Rupert Grint.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm not saying that he's not a good-looking guy, but like no.
2: Yeah, the only thing I know he's done as an adult is like that Stars redo of Snatch, which I never watched. That was not on Stars. Oh, that was, was on, on Sony's Crackle.
1: Whatever. I'm very excited about this. I'm very excited about Ron Weasley and John Malkovich. Sorry, I just stepped on Dominic's foot. Also,
0: I feel like as much as we enjoy Con Air Malkovich, and everyone should, he holds a bunny at gunpoint. And that's just (laughs) in the first half of the film. I feel like we really need rounders Malkovich doing Poro. I think no, that's the boy. optimal scenario. Oh
1: boy. <laughs> oh God, what about what about of mice and men Malkovich doing Ooh. Poro?
2: No, Hitchhiker's Guide Malkovich, where he's just like a a head or like a body, or like an upper half of a body or something. Oh, I'd love that. Yeah.
1: Anyway, moving on. Yeah. Um, I'm excited about that. Uh, I wonder so, what
2: mustache variant you'll have.
1: It was a strange week for fans of Watchmen.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, Damon Lindelof released, uh, God, like a six-page letter on Instagram uh, saying, hey, please don't preemptively hate me. I promise I'm not going to screw up this thing you love. Uh, and it's a really good piece of writing, but it was also like, this is really strange. Um, and then there was a big casting announcement. This is a series on HBO. Again, Damon Lindelof heading it up. The letter is interesting. Find it on Instagram or like Google Damon, Damon Lindelof letter. It'll be there. Um, but they announced some really interesting people for the cast. So for the very first name announced is Regina King. So Damon Lindelof reuniting with Regina King. Very mm-hmm. good news. Don Johnson currently phoning it in harder than you can possibly imagine in the film book club.
3: <laughs> um,
1: Andrew Howard. Tim Blake Nelson, which I'm really excited about. Uh, Louis Gossett Jr. Yeah. Um, So I'm like, those are good. Those are good names. I fucking love Tim Blake Nelson.
0: Yeah. One of the really interesting things that Lindelof made a big point of highlighting was that this isn't going to be a direct adaptation of the source material so much as a continuous story in the same universe with some of the same characters, is my understanding. Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. I feel like if you're going to tackle Watchmen, that's the way to go. Because I'm saying this as like one of the few people who doesn't find Zack Snyder's version an
2: Absolute Abomination, even as a fan.
3: Yeah, it's fine.
0: It's, it's fine oh, for- I hated wh- it. There's,
2: well, oh, okay, I, I think my opinion of the opening credits sequence yeah. taints my- expectations.
0: Well, and that movie that movie is on a spectrum from Jackie Earl Haley to whatever the fuck Malin Ackerman is doing every time oh. she shows up on screen. But like Watchmen is a nigh-unadaptable story because so much of it is built out of the personal experience you have being immersed in this world and then watching it go to hell. That's Mm -hmm. why it's always been such a white whale to try and translate properly. So I think continuing those themes in a thing that is not a straight adaptation is maybe the best
2: thing they could do to it at this point. Yeah,
1: I agree. Uh, And whatever, Regina King is involved. Right, exactly. Well, She's she's got the time now that
2: 7 Seconds only had one season.
1: She's one of those people, like, whatever. Yeah. What's she doing? It's a commercial. Great. Put it on a loop. I'll see you in an hour. Yeah. Well, She's and I hope best. all these
2: old 80s actors take these opportunities and run with it. I think it'd be great to see Lugasa Jr. like come back and just nail it. It'd be nice.
1: Well, and Tim Blake Nelson. Yeah, it's true. He was really good and colossal. Oh, he didn't have yeah. a huge part in that, but he was no, really he was good. Great. That. Um, also, excellent playwright. Yeah. Oh, I, I did not know that. Yep. Yeah, he's a very good playwright. Nice. Um, last thing is that James Cromwell. Um, Owner of Babe, possessor of Beard, one of several former presidents on the West Wing, Mm -hmm. uh, is joining the season of Counterpart, next season of Counterpart, which I'm really excited about. Nice. Um, I have only seen a couple of episodes of Counterpart, uh, just haven't had time to catch up yet. Mm -hmm. Although Simmons is great. J.K. Simmons is fucking great. Uh, And there are a bunch of actors that appear there who are... I don't often see in other things, who I really, really like. Um, Lottie Rubik from Outlander and other things. Mm-hmm. And Agent Carter, which you personally stopped watching, and so you personally got it canceled. It
2: is your fault, yeah, listener. You,
1: sp- whoever you are specifically. Unless you watched it. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and uh, Richard Schiff, who is oh. just a fucking delight. Anyway, lots of good people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and James Cromwell is among those people. James Cromwell, very good at his job. For a solid two hours, I was convinced that the Got a Light guy on Twin Peaks, The Mm -hmm. Return, was James Cromwell. It's not.
2: Mm. Mm. I was just revisiting Six Feet Under, uh, and he's very good in that show as well.
1: He's fucking great in everything. James Cromwell, yeah, good actor. So, it's time to talk about our episode of the month. Normally, Mm -hmm. we do this and it's like, God, there are so many good options. What's the best among these options? Well, that's not true. So I've done this twice. First, it was like, so many good options. I'm going to pick the premiere of The Americans because it's excellent. But I could go anyway. And then last month, it was like, oh, great. One of the best hours in the history of television aired. Terrific. We can film this one in.
3: Mm -hmm. We talked about
1: Teddy Perkins. Um, This month, we picked something because, (laughs) A, we wanted to talk about it. And, B, because it wasn't Atlanta or The Americans. Yeah. Yeah. So it is both arguably the correct choice and also it kind of won by default. And I want to say that so that other people who are like, (laughs) fuck the Americans and Atlanta were on and you didn't pick one of those because we picked those the last two months and we want to try to change it up. That said, Killing Eve needs no apology. Killing Eve is the fucking best. (laughs) So our episode of the month is the finale of Killing Eve, God I'm Tired, which if you haven't watched Killing Eve yet, please fast forward to the next whatever in our episode notes, the next timestamp. It's really good. Go find it now. If you are watching Killing Eve but have not watched the finale yet, same, just like, or better still, pause it, pour yourself a nice drink, maybe some champagne. Sit on your couch with cheese puffs. There's only one flavor. (laughs) Just cheese puffs. Sit on your couch, watch the finale of Killing Eve. We'll still be here. We'll wait. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, God, I'm tired. Yes. I am very excited to talk about this because I've been hanging on this show's every word from the set well since before it premiered. Um Clint got in relatively recently.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: Dom mainlined it all in the last two days. <laughs> three days, last three days, two, two to days Three days. I beat
2: him by like a day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's at long last I have someone besides the wonderful Kate Kulzick to talk to about the show and Carly Lamb. That was a fun conversation with yeah, her. Yeah. Um and we and all I'm, watched the finale together yesterday. Yes, we did. We yeah. ate some cake, which feels like a very Villanelle thing to do. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and and watched the finale of Killing Eve. Um, which, again, if you haven't seen it yet, it will have aired last night when you're hearing this. So just, like, do that. Yeah. Um, so
0: if you're hearing this, it's probably too late. <laughs> Thank you for chuckling a little at I, it. I did. I just did it out of decorum. I've had to write about Drake all weekend. It's fine. Whatever. Okay. <laughs> um,
1: I,
2: Killing Eve finale.
0: Killing Eve. So yes.
1: first of all, just the show in general as yeah. people who just got on board um, to maybe in like a sentence or two. What did you think?
0: I'll launch off as someone who ripped through all of it in succession in like optimal millennial binge form it holds up remarkably well episode to episode because one of those things when you binge a show and it's why i'm not generally huge on that model of watching television as a whole is you you keep the big beats but you lose a lot of the episodic appeal of mm-hmm, it sometimes yeah. Killing Eve I watched 7 hours of it consecutively and I can still distinguish events from every episode and that does not happen often and it's just a me- that's just a testament to how well articulated and well thought out the show is
1: It's also I think super bingeable too right like oh, it lends itself to just pressing play on the next one but it's not like if you were binging I don't know, lost, and all of a sudden you can't remember what happened before Not Penny's Boat, you know? Yeah, exactly.
2: Well, and things like the Netflix Marvel shows that kind of, and House of Cards and Orange is the New Black where they sort of rested on their laurels of like, we know everyone's going to binge us at once so we don't have to have an individual sense of of you know episodic sure
1: and you'd get every once you know, in a while you would get a great standalone episode
2: right but, but then otherwise you could they could just rely on coasting from act to act you know mm-hmm. not really delineating the between episodes no i totally agree it's one of the things i find most remarkable about killing eve is it's just incredible superlative command of tone it manages to be at once an incredibly serious and thrilling spy adventure and also this moving psychological drama and also workplace comedy. And it, it all works, it all juggles those things with just expert precision. I mean, Phoebe waller she wrote all the episodes, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it was wonderful, tens across the board. Just anchored by incredible performances. It's, I, I can't really find a false note to it. Yeah. I just, it, it blew me away.
1: There are... I mean, there are episodes that are less than perfect. Yeah. And that's about the only criticism I can muster. And I would have to. And I, that's only because there are some episodes that are better than others. So clearly, since some of those are perfect, some of them are less than perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I would be really hard pressed to um, to pick nits. You know what I mean? Exactly. I think it's just I think it's doing something utterly itself. It's. There's mm. nothing else like it on television. I've never seen, like, a cat and mouse story like this that plays out this way. Um, the, like, psychosexual dynamics yeah. are incredible. It's just... Uh, the performances are incredible. The costume design is incredible. I'm, the, like, beating this dead horse, but the costume design <laughs> and killing <laughs> is fucking incredible. The editing is incredible. It's so tense and so funny. And I cannot think of another show where... They, maybe... Maybe The Leftovers, where they could make something work where you're in, I have a thing about bathrooms, where they're sitting across from each other at the table. They're having this very tense conversation. And Eve is terrified and Villanelle is mostly curious and it's charged sexually, but it's also charged in like a a lethal way, in an unsexy lethal way. And they're sitting there having this conversation and Villanelle says, I have a question. Is that a shirt connected to a sweater <laughs> <laughs> or whatever it is? Right, and it work. It works right. so well. And then, not five
2: seconds later, they can make their move too. Right. Ugh. It's just the the way the way the scenes are, are composed and and paced out and blocked and directed, just beautiful. And one thing I think is really crucial with that
0: is that both Eve and Villanelle, they're fully drawn characters. Because there's absolutely a version of this show, probably an American version, where they're both just these unbearable cork machines and yet the way that phoebe wallard bridge draws them they are full fledged people in the pilot alone you feel like you have a surprisingly strong read on who they are and then that only continues to deepen as the season goes on and i think that's the one thing that for one not a lot of crime shows or even crime movies bother with is actually articulating who the criminals are Or if they're trying to do it, it's let's profile what makes this monster tick. Killing Eve does not care about basic questions like that. Mm -hmm. And it makes it a lot more compelling because there are a lot of things that an audience will say, fuck it, I'll go with it when it comes to a crime story if the criminals are compelling.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I most like about the finale, which ties into what you're talking about, is the final scenes. And again, for the love of God, if you haven't seen this finale, just huh. stop listening and come back. I don't want to spoil but we but we just have to talk we about it. We have this. to talk about it. Um, it's the, like Kevin. The final scenes are Eve in Villanelle's apartment. We think first, kind of snooping, and then she's like. Incredibly irritated by how nice but mundane <laughs> this apartment is, and it is a super nice apartment. Yeah, but it's nice and like a like a very ordinary Frenchy kind of yeah, way. Yeah, like the you fridge I mean? is
2: full of champagne. Oh, that's nothing. Love but that champagne.
1: For me, though, it's the um the sink head like the faucet in her bathtub, in her pink yeah. bathtub, and it's this, like, rose gold fish. <laughs> oh, I love it so much. And then she's irritated because she's got this gorgeous apartment, and then she's furious Yeah, and is trashing her apartment, and Villanelle comes in and turns around, and they lock eyes, and she goes, did you have a party? <laughs> and it's like, oh, God, it's so good. But what that scene makes really clear is Eve is messed up right she's pulled in a bunch of different directions with a bunch of different motivations she is uh, to use a Grey's Anatomy term dark and twisty right (laughs) she's got shit going on and some of it seems to be envy and some of it seems to be lust and some of it seems to be curiosity and it's just all over the map darkness definite darkness yeah coming apart at the seams kind of Villanelle absolutely has demons. We know that she has demons. She has this fixation on the hair. She is a psychopath, self-identified psychopath. Mm -hmm. But she just wants nice life, cool flat, fun job. Yeah. Whereas Eve doesn't have any idea what she wants. She just knows she's compelled. So it's reversed, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's what you expect from a story like this, but it's reversed. And I think that's fucking genius.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's the idea, it's really playing around with the idea of a woman. And particularly, I think one of the things that's really compelling, especially in the case of Eve and Sandra O's performance of her as such, is the way that it's telling a story about a woman in middle age struggling with the realization that she got the life she spent so many years working for and she might not actually give a shit about it, yeah. which is a really compelling angle that I haven't seen a lot of pop culture take in general. It's it's a completely distinct story about a very human kind of conundrum Right, where and- you became an MI5 agent, you got married to an eternally patient, wonderful man yeah. and yet you are empty and you are always chasing something Else, there is something so gorgeous and so dramatically perfect about that mm-hmm. to me.
2: Yeah, and the dynamic between her and her husband too is especially interesting because they don't rely on that creaky trope of like you know the the husband being a piece of shit or anything. He's again, like you said, infinitely patient.
1: Total catch.
2: Absolutely, and
1: she obviously loves him, and it didn't stop her from being abusive tanking their relationship and then sort of giving up when he didn't return any of her phone calls. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I don't I watch I also watch this episode with Kate calls hi Kate and (laughs) she felt like well you don't give a shit about your husband and I can see why it is that she thinks that but I don't think that's the case. I think she's an addict. Right. Yeah. It doesn't mean you don't care about the things in your life that matter but they fall by the wayside when you're chasing this. addiction. It's a compulsion
2: like she's compelled to
0: follow Villanelle. And however you want to interpret this, and the show encourages you to in a number of ways throughout mm-hmm. the first season, Villanelle is giving her something she needs desperately that she didn't realize she needed for a lot of her life.
2: Yeah, there's a there's a freedom to Villanelle's lifestyle that I think um, Eve really, really like it, it, on some level finds appealing, you know, and um, and it's really aided by oh, Judy Comer is so good in this show especially in that finale, Ugh. because just to go back to center on the finale a little bit, like for most of the episode, she is with Constantine's daughter and they Anna. have this, yeah. And they have this beautiful back and forth, like where to a certain extent, those two are on the same level personality wise in a way that no other character on the show really is.
1: Yeah. Um, they were sisters, big sister, little sister. Yeah,
2: exactly. And the, the, their, their, little dynamic is just beautiful to watch those fun little moments when they're like sitting on a bench, eating fast food um, or scamming people out of their money and it's just trading great. languages. Yeah, oh, those it's great.
1: Flipping each other off. <laughs> yeah.
2: And so it's so much fun. And the, the way the show can play around with those things and, and follow follow uh Villanelle without turning her into like a Hannibal Lecter, you know, quirk fest, like you said.
1: Yeah, it's that was what really struck me because it's so mundane, nice life, cool flat fun job
2: it's just what those things mean to her yeah is vastly different than what anyone else
1: she really thinks she has a fun job
2: yeah she loves it there's
1: that line when she's talking to Irina, where she she says are you a bad person and she says yes is my dad a bad person yes he is the worst (laughs) and then she says is it hard to be a bad person and she says not if you practice
2: exactly and i was
1: like oh god Oh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, you're such a beautiful monster. Yeah. <laughs> I just I just love it so much.
2: And also what another thing this finale taught me about Villanelle is that she's really good at having guns pointed at her and, ha- and not getting shot. Cuz so many people just point guns at her and then just lower them.
1: Well, because she she knows that's how to manipulate them. That, yeah. Well, no, I don't oh, think so. Yeah. Um Because that's what makes the the like climactic moment so interesting Mm -hmm. is she knows whether or not they have it in them to kill, presumably because she has it in herself. So she can look at someone and know whether or not they're going to do the thing. And she looks at Eve twice and knows she's not going to shoot her. And then Eve has that knife. And she looks at her and knows she's not going to do it, and she does. Yeah. Um, and it mirrors, I rewatched that incredible scene in I Have a Thing About Bathrooms last night. I'm working on a finale review, which as of now you can find at consequenceofsound.net. You can find uh, Breaking Down, Killing Eve, season one, complete with a little review of the finale, but best episode, MVP, all that stuff. And I was re-watching that scene in I Have a Thing About Bathrooms for that, and she's got the knife at her throat, and she says, don't make me push it through slowly, it makes it so much worse. Mm-hmm. And then what does Eve do? Whoo! Yes. <laughs> Fast, yeah, right. Oh, yeah, fast. Well, yeah. and also like sex, it's like her knife,
0: yeah, goes. it's very, <laughs> very Freudian, yeah, yeah.
1: Um, but Good right God. down to
0: that, like, halted pause after the moment of insertion where they're both processing what just yeah. happened, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's framed in a very particular light. I really liked uh-huh. you, mm-hmm.
1: don't take it out, it hurts so much. What
2: are you doing? It <laughs> oh. oh, it's so good! It's yeah, yeah. the The fact that they're able to sell all these different changes in motivation and uh, in tactics on a dime and make the characters work is just such a testament to the writing.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah, no, it's it's a great it's a great finale and it's a great season of television.
1: I was really struck um, when I first watched it by thinking about what a brilliant cliffhanger it is because it the one thing it does is drastically alter the dynamic right like eve or uh, villanelle gets away not a shock. of course she was going to get away what was Mm -hmm. it going to be like a prison drama in season two no of course she gets away The way that she gets away and what it does to the relationship. After, like, are you going to kill me? No. Promise. Okay. And then she's shooting at her and saying, I'm going to kill you, and runs out the door. Dramatically Mm -hmm. changes the dynamic of the show. That's amazing. I was so dazzled by it that I forgot to think about some of the little things that don't happen in this finale. We don't get anything like a clear answer about what Carolyn, Fiona Shaw, her role is, what her connection to the 12 is. We have no idea what that is. If any, she might have just been going to, like do her job right like we don't fucking know and the other thing is we see cute mm, kid cute kid yeah Scott Wolf Scott Wolf um, notice on the prison footage the note come out from under the door yeah. Nadia's door We see him see it, and then nothing happens. Nothing happens with it. There's no, and it was in the previously on. We saw her send the note on the previously on, and then nothing happens. So that's got to mean something.
0: Well, and for that matter, Constantine just like rolled into a boat.
1: No, she he died. Remember? Yeah. Fuck.
0: Yes.
2: Delete all of this. (laughs) I watched a lot of that show yesterday. But also, we don't see it happen. We hear over the phone.
1: Yes. So
2: who knows? Question. He did
1: get shot twice in the gut. Also interesting.
2: Yeah. Why'd she Why? shoot him in the gut? Oh yeah.
1: Right? Why didn't she shoot him in the head? Oh, we yeah. know she's an incredible shot. Yeah. Did she want him to maybe survive? That's what maybe. I think.
2: Maybe. Yeah. Cause I mean, yeah, obviously has a very sort of paternal relationship with, with him and all of that. Um, I just hope that Constantine comes back, but it's just Judy Comer and Constantine cosplay <laughs> stroking her beard. is great.
1: I am totally comfortable with that as our pick of episode of the month, even though this is the year the year, the month in which both Atlanta and the Americans ended yeah. all time great seasons of TV. You
2: know, I'm fine killing with letting Killing Eve be the third leg of like the tripod of great COS shows. Like Yes. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. cool.
1: With a little like dangle for Legends of Tomorrow in the middle. Oh god. <laughs> like a little stop
0: making the finger little. motion. I, yeah, I don't like the idea of dangling CW shows. <laughs> it's <laughs> exciting to me. <laughs> if
2: any CW show dangles, it's Riverdale. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. And Riverdale more like drips. It droops.
2: Yeah, Riverdale's moist. Yeah. Um, You had to say it.
1: All right. So we'll move through these kind of quickly. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
2: Picks with individual picks over the month. Uh, Dom, what is
0: yours? So my individual pick, the last time you had me on I touched on Barry, but that was the ca- a case where as the season went on I just continued to be more and more bold over with it by the week. The last time I was here I talked about how it could have been like a very easy gross point blankish, like Hitman with a heart of gold story, and in particular the season finale of the show Know Your Truth gets into much heavier territory to the point where the show that comes back for its already confirmed second season next year is going to be very different from the show that aired already. It, among other things, has become a really savage take on artistic process as much as anything. Hmm. And it's very much a show now about the lengths to which a performer will morally justify themselves going to improve and strengthen and give depth to their craft, which for a thing that started as a semi-serious hitman dark comedy is a really interesting place for it to go because, as is pointed out to Barry shortly before he does maybe the most morally reproachable thing he does in the entire season— the difference between you and me is that I'm a cop and you're a fucking murderer. And for all of the show's hand-wringing about how bad of a person is, the season finale really lands firmly on the side of Barry is an irredeemably bad person, which is a really cool and interesting place for the show to go going
2: forward. Yeah, for sure. I'm really curious to see where they're going to take his level of success in the industry. Because um, I'm looking forward to a show where he becomes a really successful A-list actor, then gets taken down by think pieces.
0: Between that and the fact that No Ho Hank now rules Los Angeles, oh God, there's I'm plenty so of places to go.
2: Looking forward to more No Ho Hank. Like I if Bill a, Hader wasn't a great asset, he was, yeah.
1: Uh, I have a question. I'm yeah. sorry to interrupt there, right. but it's like I'm bursting to know the answer to this. In like a Mr. and Mrs. Smith style assassin off, who wins? Barry or Villanel? Villanel.
0: Villanelle. Okay, Hands down. Cool. Yeah, yeah, Barry yeah. Barry is a great shot, but Barry will always be undone by the fact that he wants to be a human being. Yeah,
2: he, he he's he's under at least the illusion that he's a good person.
0: Yeah, Villanelle knows who she is, which makes her great at her job.
2: Yeah. Allison, what about you? Uh,
1: My pick of the month is The Americans, and I'm picking two episodes because I can do whatever the fuck I want. See, we're talking about it. Yeah. uh, Well, we're also... I'm going to keep it light because we'll also be talking about The Americans in our performance of the month section. Mm -hmm. Um, So I went with the last two weeks of The Americans. We talked about the summit on last week's TV party. I reviewed it for the AV club and gave it an a minus because I just didn't have the stones to give a flat a when I was subbing for somebody else. And I should have, it's one of the best episodes of the Americans ever. Hmm. Um, but we've already talked about the summit, uh, Jennings, Elizabeth. I'm not going to go into too much detail because the name itself is ominous enough. And I don't want to ruin things for Clint, uh, who is furiously catching up on the Americans right now. Mm-hmm. So that next week when we do our hall of faces for the Americans, <laughs> he can speak with authority. Yeah. Um, But Jennings Elizabeth is just an incredibly tense hour of TV as the circle closes in on Elizabeth and Philip as their marriage undergoes more strain as a lot of Elizabeth's chickens come home to roost it's just um, a really terrific hour of TV with an incredibly upsetting chase at the very end Uh, so yeah so that's my pick the Americans I also have a pick for this week Mm -hmm. because technically uh The summit was two weeks ago, so I'm faking it. Uh And that is also something we'll be talking about in the performance section, which is an episode of Westworld called Akane no Mai, which I am very excited about.
2: It's a very good episode.
1: Yeah. Clint, what is your pick?
2: Oh, just as the both of you talked about shows that are either... Temporarily over or reaching their ends. Uh, I'm going to talk about a show that is experiencing in multiple ways a new beginning, not just in terms of renewal, but the way the storyline's going, and that is my perennial favorite, The Expanse. It's in the middle of its third season right now. I believe, uh, Carly, when she was she was on last week's episode, and I wasn't here. Um, pinch hit for that as her pick for next week. Um, and she was correct because it's um it's a great episode of a season and a show that keeps getting better, which made it the perfect time to like get the cancellation scare and then have everyone like, rally the troops um but this is delta v this is the seventh episode of the third season and like i've said before um expand seasons are weird in that they have a big climax at the end at the middle of their seasons mm-hmm. and then start with the beginning of one of the new the next book and so this is the beginning of the third book and there's a, so there's a, a bit of a soft reboot uh characters are sort of uh changed around there's a six month time jump as um, you know, there's this mysterious object in orbit around your around Uranus, and uh, I'm you know, sorry, around what? Around Uranus. Thank you. Um, it's a it's a ring. It's a ring around Uranus, and uh,
1: pocket full of anus. <laughs> pocket full of anus. Ashes, ashes. <laughs> <laughs> butts, butts, butts. Butts, butts, butts. One more time. What is it, Clint? Uh, boobs, butts, wings. Thanks.
2: Anyway, uh, <laughs> so now we see the different characters um, configured in different places um one of the members of the host ship is off on like a a big old like space mormon ship that like the people who run the asteroid belt hijacked and are using as like their own flagship it's a (laughs) whole thing you'll get around to it i promise it's great
1: (laughs) it's just oh it's so i always get so excited when someone is trying to summarize a series for me and Two, two seconds in I'm like what the fuck are you talking about yeah. it's very promising right right and so I
2: I, I don't want to say too much again because you're just starting the sure. show um, I'll forget
1: it, perhaps, I'm, r- perhaps I'm running on like maybe 20 hours of sleep total for this week so I don't even know who you guys in the are.
2: words of Killing Eve episode titles god I'm tired <laughs> Yes. Um but anyway, yes, it's it's actually a really fantastic way to to reset the show to shake up character dynamics. And honestly, you know, genre switch a little bit where uh the first season, the first book is kind of a detective story, the second one is this politically charged war movie kind of, and then the third one appears to be more of a of a religious philosophical thing as everyone's gathering around this mysterious object. And you get to delve more into the characters. The characters get to go into new situations. We get new characters. David Strathairn is here as like a guy whose face is half burnt and he speaks in like the Belter Creole that like people who spend generations out on the asteroid belt have developed. And so it's weird hearing like, Edward R. speaking like space pirate voice. It's just beautiful. And um, it's all anchored by this great little isolated one episode subplot featuring this young belter who's decided to, Who's like lost his relationship, and he's just one of those guys who runs around in a single tiny ship, just slingshotting around the universe to try to like break speed records and shit. And He's like, no, Misa, go you know into the ring and see what happens. The craft of the show is improving with every single episode, and I, I promise, uh, now that the expanse is saved, I'll I'll stop tooting the horn as much. But I felt the need to ex- establish this episode as sort of a good jumping off point for the new show.
1: And that was also this week, so that's also your pick of the week.
2: Exactly. So double
1: Amazing. duty. Uh well, before we get into the performances of the month and there were some really good ones. This feels like I'm already pissed at us for not including Emily Watson or Natalie Dormer or uh-huh. like all of these really great performances this month, but there's a lot on TV at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Uh in May. There's only 3 of us. Um so we are going to talk about that in just a second after you listen to whatever this is. Das Dasvidanya comrades. Ooh. Um, I, if it's a TV party, yeah, I, you know, have to drink more importantly. It's almost the end of the Americans. So I <laughs> absolutely have to drink. Hold on. I've got to go get some olive oil so I can take a shot of olive oil so I can drink more while maintaining my wits in case I have to kill someone. Oh, well, um, there you go. There is an American season six spoiler for you.
2: Uh oh. Well, yeah. hopefully I will also forget that the same way you will hopefully forget the ring around Uranus. Never. Oh, okay. That's
1: gotcha. that's can't unsee. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, but we're 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 back. We're back. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the many great performances this month. A month so stacked that we are not going to talk about Aubrey Plaza. We are not going to talk about. Tandy Newton. We are not going to talk about fuck. I don't know any of the really good people and any of the other. That we're not going to talk about Elizabeth Moss or Alexis Bledel. We're not going to talk about Yvonne Strahovski. We're not going to talk about Ralph Macchio, but we'll talk about him later. Um, (laughs) There's just so much great TV on right now, which is a wonderful problem to have. But we have technically five performances. That we're going to chat about Mm -hmm. um, because one of them we're double dipping. So the performance of the month is a twofer. One of the great pas de deux in the history of TV. Your Russian is impeccable. Oh, gross. That is Matthew Reese and Kerry Russell as Philip and Elizabeth Jennings on The Americans. Mm. Go on. I'm so sad already. I can't wait for you all to see the finale. It's... Wednesday. I can't wait for you to see it, I'm guessing, in like a week and a half. Probably. I can't wait for you to see it whenever the fuck you get off your ass. I have
0: yeah. a long list. I'm sorry. Yeah.
1: <laughs> you got to bump this one to the top. You. It's so your shit. When have I steered you wrong?
0: You have not. This is true. The
1: only time that you were like, I'm not sure about this, was one day at a time. And how much did you love one day at a time?
0: I, I watched all of it in a day and a half. Right? So, yeah.
1: so and that was the one where a I was like. day and a half
2: at a time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: You know what, Clint, when you're right, you're right. Yep. Um, I don't lead you wrong. The, the Americans is absolutely your shit. Mm-hmm. It's so your shit.
0: And I will get on top of it accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. The last time you told me this was Killing Eve. And again, I watched all of it in less than eight hours. <laughs>
1: I woke up on Thursday morning, I think, whatever it was. No, this was Friday morning because you did all of it yesterday yes okay so i Uh woke up and all of a sudden i had like a like a bloop like a thing whatever it is that noise that slack makes (laughs) totally whatever that is right and all it said was oh my god she fucking killed can't say yeah Yeah, because we told you spoiler section whatever she fucking killed hair yeah long beautiful hair (laughs) um he's naked on on a cross he's naked (laughs) Naked on on a cross um anyway it's uh yeah i've never led you astray what i'm saying is get on the americans so the americans works for lots of reasons it works because joe fields and joel weisberg are incredibly at good at their jobs um it works because they have hired some of the best writers and directors in all of you know creation um, Tommy Schlamy is doing a lot of directing this season. Ooh, yep. Little Tom Schlamm. Well, the old-fashioned Tom Schlam. Ooh. Um, gross. <laughs> yeah, it just sounds gross, doesn't yeah. it? Um, it works because they have an almost unrivaled supporting cast, but it really works because Matthew Reese and Carrie Russell, uh, who were not married when they started making the show, um, <laughs> could not be better suited to each other as performers. It is. Between the two of them, like a like a joint performance, that's one of the best on TV now, but in all of TV history, Carrie Russell has a vein in her forehead with which I am intimately acquainted.
3: <laughs> um,
1: Matthew Reese has this thing he does with his teeth when he's angry but can't be angry, and I know that because I've watched him for six years not do the thing that he's feeling. The, the way that only someone who is very good at that can do mm-hmm. so they're incredible technical performances and deeply felt and thoughtful and smart and they're the beneficiaries of some of the best writing around absolutely but i it's hard for me to imagine them working in another set of hands like think of two of the best actors one man one woman that you can think of so let's say like laura dern and somebody Bill Pullman. (laughs) Sure. Bill Pullman's very good at his job. You know what? 100% would watch. Yeah. Um, I can see Laura Dern being really good at some Elizabeth Jennings stuff. I can see Bill Pullman being really good at some Philip Jennings stuff. I can see them being very good together. The show would be totally different and it wouldn't be as good. Yeah, There's a ferocity to both of those actors, but you love them there's like a softness, but they're made of steel. Like I just, I'm getting effusive now. (laughs) Poor Dominic knows when I really love something, It's I I end up writing poetry. And then he's like, this is great. Could it be one paragraph and not three? (laughs) This is a nice way of putting this. Do you think we could do less? (laughs) They're good things, Tom. They're good notes. They're good notes. Yeah, yeah. So, um so yeah. What yes. do you think? I you haven't seen this season. No, I'm like a
2: season and a half in. I'm very still I'm a little like I'm a little Americans baby. I'm a baby American. You're
1: in the throes of it.
2: Yes. Yeah, so I am vaguely familiar with how they work, because it's also been a while, so I'm I'm in the beginning of catching up. But yeah, no, I, I completely agree. They have to they have to try on a lot of hats, some fuzzy and Russian, some I don't know. Almost whatever. all
1: of them on top of wigs.
2: Exactly. Some
1: of them Oh, hey! Unrelated. This yeah. is kind of, you'll see at some point on the site, mm, like a week and a half from when you're hearing this, whenever. Um, I had the great pleasure of interviewing Darren Chris this week. I'm not going to say very much about it because I want people to read it. But one thing I found out his hair in Versace, that shit's a wig. What? Wow. It's a wig. Sh- as Julie would say, as my friend Julie Starboard would say, shh, it's a wig. <laughs> shh, it's a wig. Anyway, it's a wig. That's a wig. Wow. That's go. a wig. That's I, some good
0: wig acting. That is that is phenomenal wig performance. All things considered, it's a very yeah. good wig. Anyway, wigs never look that natural.
1: Those, uh, and that that
2: makes so much sense with his character too. Like, because it adds another layer of, uh, of like artificiality to him.
1: Oh well, no, it's because Andrew kunanen had straight hair, and Darren Criss has curly hair.
2: I know, but I mean, yeah. just in the diet, like thinking about it oh, within sure. the themes yeah, of yeah, the show. Yeah. You know what I mean?
1: Um. Anyway, it's a great wig. Yeah. So you were saying many hats on top. of Oh, many
2: hats. Oh, cool. uh, but they have to. I mean. It's a it's a difficult role already, because you're you're having to play Russian spies pretending to be Americans who who occasionally have to pretend to be other people on an episode by episode basis, and you have to put on a lot of disguises. And so even technically, they're very good performances. But like you said, I'm I think it's a really good idea to pair the two together in this performance of the month because they feed off each other so nicely in ways that you know, they're great in isolation, but they're just fucking electricity went together. Mm -hmm. So, well,
1: and you'll see more of this as the show goes on. It's especially in the last season, which I'm so sad to say (laughs) is about to end. The performances are so good and the relationship is so well defined that in almost every scene where you're watching just Philip or Elizabeth, you're thinking about the other one and how they would react and what they would think and what they would say. Mm. And it's, um, a testament to the writing and the performances, but right. Jesus Christ. Right. It's, uh, I'm sure sh- we will obviously be talking about them at length next week. There is no <laughs> way we're doing a Hall of Faces for the Americans where half of the contenders aren't Philip and Elizabeth Jennings, right? <laughs> like, that's, if we well, all come just- in, if it's like, Martha and Oleg and Nina and Paige, I'm burning down your house.
2: <laughs> so. It's the whole whole roster of Mindy St. Clair's.
1: Oh God, I mean, I do love Mindy.
2: I mean, I guess I'll, I'll put this to you. So would you say that the casting of those two uh, actors together um, feels like Felicity? <laughs>
3: <laughs> oh, one. I don't care that Allison's glaring. That's <laughs> funny as shit. I'll give you the belly laugh.
2: Anyway.
0: I've
1: been sitting here trying to figure out how to s- make a joke about it. So I'll just say we are no longer brothers and sisters. Okay. (laughs) You asshole. Yeah. (laughs) You. Uh, I love Felicity. Yes. Um, It's a good show. It is good. It's a really
2: good show. The Pink Power Ranger.
1: There's a line in this season where somebody says, "She had hair, beautiful hair, like one of those Vidal Sassoon ads," (laughs) and I was like, "That's a line written specifically about Carrie Russell, but also about Felicity,"
2: (laughs) (laughs) and also written specifically for you
1: yeah just for me just for me like Vitalis soon here Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Um, so (laughs) we will be talking a lot more about those two performances next week on our Hall of Faces episode which I'm so excited about good old Kate is gonna be coming back and joining us and then I think we might I'll just not say who it is in case he can't do it Uh, and then we're not letting people down anyway um, (laughs) I'm very excited about that so with that individual performances
2: yeah uh well dom why don't you tell us what your individual
0: pick may have so i'll keep it brief because i know we already spent the entire first half of the show lauding her work on it but jodie comer on killing eve was my indisputable pick for the month of may because as much as i love and am honestly kind of floored by sandra o's work on the show as well doing the kind of role that for some reason nobody other than shonda rhimes really ever gave her up until this point. Um, Jodie Comer is the performance that's sticking with me because Villanelle has to serve so many different masters narratively. She has to be so many things simultaneously, oftentimes, from scene to scene. And Jodie Comer pulls all of these things off flawlessly. It's just it's a masterpiece of physical performance, of vocal performance, as we were touching on. It's all around, it's just one of the more staggering pieces of acting I've seen all year thus far.
2: And there's such energy to it, like there's such a verve to her performance because Villanelle loves what she does Mm -hmm. and she is so funny. And it's just the, the, the way she's able to juggle, you know, that wry smile or like just a genuine cackle of delight while she's shooting someone in the face is just so great. And like, like you said, Sandra Oh is fantastic on that show, but I think we mentioned when we were seeing, when we were watching the finale yesterday, that like, we know that Sandra Oh is great already. And so like, we, like we see that greatness, but then Jodie Comer is such a surprise because she just Mm -hmm. came out of nowhere to practically steal the show out, uh, not out from under Sandra Oh, but to share the stage with her uh equally right out of the gate
1: yeah it feels like a frankly it feels like kind of a Carrie russell matthew reese situation to me like they're the yin and yang and this show is brand fucking new and every time i'm watching villanelle part of my brain is thinking about Eve. And every time i'm watching eve part of my brain is thinking about villanelle and that is and you know
2: what so are they (laughs) yes yeah
1: i think about what it feels like when you kill someone i think about what you had for breakfast this morning and you're like oh my god
2: that speech makes me fucking melt. I know. It's, it's the so best. Good. It's
1: so good. Yes. Um, That is a great pick.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Allison, what is your pick?
1: Oh, well, um, I feel like I need to mention The Tale, which COS... So it's we live in this strange world now where who the fuck knows what's film and TV except for Twin Peaks, which is absolutely a television show because... Yeah. <laughs> It's broken into episodes.
2: Calle du Cinema would disagree with you about that. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Here's the
1: thing. If, in this FYC thing that Showtime is doing, if they air it without episode breaks, if they take out the credits, I'll call it a fucking movie. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But it's episodic television that makes it what fu- When we start doing one hour short film series where they're all sequential, I will call that TV in a movie theater. That's fine with me. Yeah. If you're writing episodes, it's a goddamn show. Anyway, <laughs> um, as a result, we are considering the excellent narrative feature from Documentary Jennifer Fox, The Tale, which will have aired on Saturday when you're listening to this on HBO. We are considering that a film, which means coverage of that film is going to be in the film section of COS. But fuck it, it's airing on TV, so I just need to mention that Laura Darn is in- unbelievably good in The Tale, which is very upsetting. You should watch it but be prepared it is extremely upsetting mm-hmm. um so as a result i'm gonna pick another hbo performance i was very taken by and that is rinko kikuchi in the Akane no Mai episode of westworld um westworld has been hinting at these other parks for a long time now uh i don't remember dom are you a westworld person
0: not on this current season, but I'm familiar enough. Okay, cool.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and you, I'm caught up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um. So we have seen. Um,
2: we saw Raj World. Raj
1: World, and in this week we, and there have already been plenty of hints about Shogun World. Yeah. Um. And this week we enter into it. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think we re- people originally guessed Samurai World, but Shogun World is a much better name.
3: Yeah. True. Um.
1: So they go charging into Shogun World. It is. Very exciting, but the coolest part about it, and God, I wish I could talk to the costume designer about this, <laughs> is they realize that the writer has been recycling stories at all the parks, which makes perfect sense. And I don't know why I didn't predict that. <laughs>
2: and in a, a meta narrative sense with Westworld, too.
1: Yes. Um, and that means that in Shogun World, there's a mave. Uh-huh. Um and there's a Dolores and there's a Teddy and there's a whatever but there's a Maeve. Mm-hmm. Uh so when Maeve and company roll into Westworld, they watch their scene play out in front of them,
2: complete with Shamoson cover of Paint it Black. Yep, note for note for the for the for season, which is fantastic.
1: It's so good, and then you look at the costuming, and it is reflective of what the characters in the Westworld park were wearing. But, but totally different. It's incredible. But the mave of Shogun World is Rinko Kikuchi. Um, who you might know from Jesus Christ, any number of things. Uh, Kimiko um,
2: the Treasure Hunter, Pacific Rim.
1: Pacific Rim. She was,
2: she's an Academy Award nominee.
0: Yeah. For Babel, which she's terrific in, despite the movie not being so. Sorry,
2: yeah. too.
1: She is very good at her job, and she's great here. Um, they also find, and because this isn't the writer, this is... Westworld actual Westworld the show doing this but they mirror Maeve's storyline looking for the daughter that she remembers that was written out of her story in what's happening in Shogun World in a way that's really interesting but it, it Honestly, I could probably just do Rinko Kikuchi and Tandy Newton because the episode really hinges on the way that they interact. Mm-hmm. Um, but you expect Tandy Newton to be wonderful. You expect Rinko Kikuchi to be wonderful. You don't necessarily expect her to show up on Westworld. Yeah. And I didn't expect her to be Maeve. So I've been waiting to talk about this episode for like a month and a half at this point, And I'm just so excited too. So, did you like this one too? No,
2: I did too. Um, one, of the I, one of the things I like about the episode, not to, not to focus too much on the performance, I guess, um, is that it got back to the kind of... Rip roar and adventure that Westworld is sometimes capable of because it spent a lot of the early leg of the season diving into these like really uh, like abstract ideas of identity. Like I'm thinking of the previous episode where there's that running gag about Peter Mullen's character mm-hmm. being isolated in that room. Yep. Um, but this was like this is again like it still played into the themes of the show and the ways in which narrative control these char- controls these characters and the way they can overcome them and subvert them. Um, and Kikuchi, um, she does a wonderful job of making us feel like. Like, we, we see the resemblance to Maeve, but there's still those fundamental differences. And you see mm-hmm. Maeve seeing her as, like, a potential way to break the cycle. I love samurai shit anyway, so yeah. why not?
1: This is as far as I got in Screeners for Westworld. Mm-hmm. Um God, I after I saw this all I wanted to do was talk about it. So I'm really glad to get to do that, but what I don't know is whether or not she continues. Yeah. Um I really hope that this isn't a one episode thing. I hope we spend some more time with her, uh but who knows.
2: Yeah, exactly. We'll have to find out.
1: Clint, what was your pick for the performance of the month? Uh
2: my pick, I had a bit of a hard time, but I I ended up um choosing Tracy Ellis Ross from Blackish. I almost wanted to pick like you did with the Americans, Anthony Anderson and Tracy Ellis Ross, because I think while Tracy Ellis Ross is, she gets so much more to do with blackish and especially these episodes. I do think Anthony Anderson and she work really well together. And I'm thinking specifically of a storyline that we've have mentioned in previous TV parties in a more cynical way than I think it ended up being, because we thought this was like a road for them to, write Tracy Ellis Ross off the show because we knew there was issues with pay disparity and that kind of thing and so it ends with like a more or less like not a happy ending but like the beginnings of a reconciliation but season four the tail end of season four of Blackish, uh, sees the show go way more dramatic with this divorce subplot where like sort of out of nowhere, honestly, like, they, they start developing these problems, but um, at least, like, the performances behind it are, are really good. And um, I'm thinking of Tracy Ellis Ross specifically, like, finding ways to infuse this additional bit of pathos and drama to a character that, um, you know, is often very comedic, but um, without sacrificing the innate nature of who Rainbow is. Sure, the scenarios themselves became a bit contrived, at least at first, like, the extent to which they were having problems, but for the kind of sitcom contrivances that it takes to deal with like a four episode arc on a, on a sitcom about like a family potentially breaking apart. I think they I think she especially works really well with those very, she has great chemistry with uh, Anthony Anderson and vacillating between these discussions that turn into fights that turn into reconciliations that turn into fights again, and sort of trying to figure out where she fits in this, new family dynamic and whether or not it'll go back and um, just especially for a sitcom performance. And she's always been great, but I felt like she found new levels of, she, she found new levels to play, whether this is a one-off or not. I don't know. I don't know if they're going to keep this like in season five, whether or not they're going to keep this sort of not uneasy truce, but um, you know, this reconciliation up in a storyline that I was a little bit dubious about. The more I watched it, it was fascinating to see how well she held it up and elevated it, mm-hmm. which may, maybe is a credit to the performance itself. Like if, even if I'm dicey on the writing, she's selling it.
1: I haven't seen it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I am a big fan of hers. So I'm looking forward to it. But mm-hmm. if you want to hear more about this particular episode, I would point you to the televerse, our friend Kate Kulcic's uh-huh. TV podcast. She and her co-host Noel Kirkpatrick had a great conversation on their last episode, which I think is probably two episodes ago now. They will have released a new one by now, but mm-hmm. um, where they specifically talk about what it would have looked like if the blackish writers had decided to stretch this out a little more, if they used if this the end it. of this season oh, yeah. to sort of get to a breaking point and left the season there and then started season two. And then maybe we got some episodes from Bo's perspective because they're split, leading to the event that um precipitates their reunion mm-hmm. and uh, going from there and how much more satisfying that would have been. Uh, it's a fascinating conversation I super recommend it. Mm-hmm. So you can find that at the televerse.org. Nice. Uh, well now it is time to move on to what we may have missed. Because we missed it, we should take tons of time, but we shall not. So, let's talk about some of the things we didn't talk about on the podcast or the site this month. There's um, a bunch that we're still not going to talk about because, again, May was a terrific month for TV. I Mm -hmm. thought it was not going to be, but it was. Uh, So... Mr. Clint Worthington, that is me. What two things? (laughs) One is making me giggle. The other, I am just nodding my head. Did Uh, you pick for what we missed this month?
2: Well, I'll start with *Picnic at Hanging Rock* because I mentioned that I was really hyped for it in the summer TV preview. I've only watched the first episode, but what I saw, I liked. The costumes alone are worth watching, honestly. For real. Um, But it has this wonderful dreamlike quality. It's it's, like I said, the adaptation of the Joan Lindsay novel, and which was also adapted into a great movie by Peter Weir. Amazon is doing a six-part limited series starring Natalie Dormer. It feels a lot edgier it feels um much more modern i suppose in sensibility and sensibility and cinematography and everything and again the the look is just bolder and brassier and uh, much more confrontational than the airy dreaminess of peter weir's version but uh i've only seen one episode but i like it so far but i didn't see enough to like say that wholeheartedly like this is what you this is gonna be my pick but i wanted to have a little fun because uh, the Master Chef Junior finale was just a couple days ago, and it may be the most adorable cooking competition on television, <laughs> which I guess is a small company, but uh, not no pun intended. But uh, the finale just happened, and I was very very pleased with how it turned out. Um, if you haven't seen it, sorry for the spoilers, but the winner is a nine year old cook from Chicago. Oh yay! Named Benny. B and I, and, uh, well, it was the best part about the finale. Cause it was between three kids and I, you know, as much as I wanted to rep Chicago, Chicago was great. Um, but they had an eight year old in the finale and that's like the youngest they've ever had. And then this other boy, Quani, and like all three created this three course meal throughout the course of these two episodes. And, they none of them missed a single beat like it was so weird that there wasn't like an obvious like oh no they messed up until like maybe the dessert round but um it was just so the, one of the chief appeals of masterchef jr is seeing gordon ramsay say nice things to children you know him and christina tozi and the other judge i forget his name joe something um Bastianich, just is it Joe Bastianich? yeah i think so but they they just like are continually blown away um with really specific critiques that don't feel like they're sugarcoating anything um it's just it's just cute as as hell and it makes me smile whenever i watch it
1: uh i have a friend very dear friend who was on masterchef a couple of years ago mm-hmm. at this point maybe like five years ago it was a while ago um And she had nothing but nice things to say about Gordon Ramsay. It was not overall a positive experience for her. I won't go into why, because she signed a zillion pieces of paper saying otherwise. Um, And... It wouldn't be hard to figure out what friend it was if you spent any time on the internet at all trying to figure <laughs> out who I knew that was on Master Chef. But um I will say that despite all of the barking and the risotto! and all of that shit. Idiot that Gordon Sandwich. Does, yeah. yeah. Um, he was never anything but kind to her. Mm-hmm. Um and to all the contestants. She was very impressed by him personally. So mm. um so he's Uh, a real dick on television but is Mm. apparently just a very warm person.
2: Well in those like kitchen confidential-esque reality shows he's really harsh but then like my introduction really to Gordon Ramsay, like watching him in earnest were like his British cooking shows, like the ultimate cookery course and like Gordon's home cooking where he cooks with his family. And like there he, like you can tell that it's so much of an act. I mean like otherwise like in reality, he's just a very, he's a guy who loves food and he's like, Mm -hmm. he's really intense and passionate about making sure you get it right. But that's because it's so easy once you know, Mm -hmm. and like imparting those pearls of wisdom on these children who are very eager, very thirsty, very, friendly to each other I one of my favorite bits of each MasterChef Junior episode is when one person one kid gets like really singled out for doing a good job and then they walk back and everyone like gives them high fives Aww. it's so cute <laughs> I don't
1: watch this so that makes me so happy yeah
2: um, it's great but uh, congratulations Benny you deserved it we like both Julia and I were like Who's, who should win it should be Benny right and then we were
1: proven <laughs> right that's great and
2: we, we have faith in you
1: that's wonderful
2: and it was paid off Dom what's your pick well Let's <laughs> talk about some fucking wrestling. God damn Even it. Even Cracked a Miller Lite for the occasion. <laughs> uh, but yeah. Um, that's the so... most dumb Suzanne Mayer moment that's
0: ever if this, existed. If
1: this was a video podcast, I would expect you to chug that right now.
0: Just Steve Austin, it slam Just two sh- of them together and shove as much of it as a can into my mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Also, um, yeah, so I'm going to talk for just like 60 seconds, I promise, about NXT, which I kind of touched on in last month's Halton catch-up with um, their big New Orleans pre-WrestleMania show. They have been killing the game ever since because especially since they called up a lot of people who have been kind of floating around who were clearly bound for the main roster, but they just had nothing for them yet. The show was in a little bit of a holding pattern week to week, but they have completely rebranded with a new set of faces, and it's really exciting. And as always, NXT just... It brings back the kind of character-centric wrestling that me and a million other people fell in love with in the first place that's kind of fallen by the wayside over the years.
2: Characters welcome.
0: Absolutely. Characters are welcome in NXT. <laughs> and I, in particular, I just want to single out Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, both of whom are doing career best work, Gargano especially. Um, For, like, the two of you listening to TV Party maybe who would care about this, (laughs) Johnny Gargano has had two five-star matches rated by Dave Meltzer in the past year. The only two other wrestlers to ever do this in the decades Meltzer has been rating matches are Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. So if you want an idea of just how historic Gargano's run is right now, there you go. But on top of that, they've bought in Gargano's real life wife, Candace LeRae, who is also an incredible wrestler in her own right. And even if I'm not completely nuts about some of the storytelling they're doing, specifically involving her, because it's really hard to take her as like the loved one in peril when I've watched her eat a super kick from a boot covered in thumbtacks once before. Um <laughs> yeah. Candace LeRae is a cooler wrestler than like anyone on WWE's roster right now, <laughs> fun fact. But also, Champa and especially Gargano are doing some really great week-to-week serialized storytelling that is as compelling a blood feud as anything on TV right now, and I'll firmly maintain that. Nice. And now we can talk about real TV again. <laughs> I,
2: just you saying, you talking about that reminded me of my favorite game I like to play, which is uh, before every wrestler's name, I like to imagine the words Golden Lion Winner. <laughs> anyway. Moving on. Allison, what's your, what, what, what did we miss?
1: Uh, I want to tip my hat briefly to um, Little Women uh, on PBS, which I thought was really wonderful and excellent, but we've talked about it at least briefly on the show. Uh, the same goes for Vida, which we talked about in our summer TV preview, but haven't actually covered, which wraps up, might be this week, really soon, uh-huh. um, and that's on Stars. But I started just this morning. On a very special adventure. <laughs> and that <laughs> special adventure is on the first bona fide hit from YouTube Red, Cobra Kai. Now, I will say, I went into this with my eyes, like, at, like, 9 o'clock, ready to head over to 3 o'clock the long way, just expecting it to be eye-roll worthy. And I really enjoyed the pilot. Um, the setup is basically... Uh, The two primary rivals from the first Karate Kid movie. Is it the first one? I haven't seen the Karate Kid movies in years. I just looked at Dom because I knew he would know this, even though it's the first
0: one. Yeah. Yeah. I also like that you're talking about fake fighting now, too. I'm just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
1: yeah. Anyway, um, basically, the premise is what does the bully bad kid from an 80s movie look like as an adult? Not the actor, the character. Uh, And the answer is, like, sad Biff. Um, He's having a rough go of it. And uh, Daniel LaRusso owns a very successful high-end car dealership. And he drives around town in his beat-up Firebird. And you see Daniel LaRusso kicking the prices of the competitors, literally. Uh, they, They show a commercial where he slashes prices with his karate chops. It's great. What?
2: Please tell me there are wax on wax off jokes about the car dealership. Uh,
1: there aren't yet, but you can see him making his little protege, who's his neighbor, who the first thing he says to him is, "Oh, great, more immigrants." Oh. Um, <laughs> but he is not a likable character. Yeah. It's an an intri- it's really interesting, but he is because they're doing a really good job of it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's you kind see of a Gran Torino thing. In the preview for the next episode, he's got the kid uh, wiping down the hood of his car, okay. so it's coming. All right. Um, but it is a really effective pilot. I, it's uh, being billed as a dramedy. Uh, I've been assured by a lot of people with excellent taste that mm-hmm. it stays good and gets progressively more interesting.
3: Okay.
1: Uh, and I'm super into it. So yeah, Cobra Kai, YouTube Red. I believe that YouTube Red lets you do like a 30-day trial or something. So if you're not sure that you want to sign up for the scrip- subscription, but you really want to give this a try, it is worth signing up for that. And then just do what I do and put a little memo that says cancel on this day. And then decide you love it and keep it. Thanks. <laughs> (laughs) right yes absolutely so cobra kai
2: nice um cool so now that we've mentioned what we missed let's talk about what we want to watch next week
1: god Uh, there's good shit
2: there is some real good shit
1: this list doesn't include the break with michelle wolf which i'm really excited about like there's a bunch of really good shit coming out this week
2: very true uh dom what talk to me about secession Secession. Secession, that Civil War drama. Absolutely. Um,
1: Let's say the title correctly. Six Session Succes- for those listening at home
0: and aren't just memeing along and with us. One
1: more time. It's Succession.
0: Succession. You said
1: secession. Yeah. You said Succession. I just
0: said it like I'm from the middle of Illinois, all right? I know. Like- what I'm saying is so
1: no one is writing Six Session. It's Succession. Succession. One person succeeds the next. Continue.
0: Anyway. So, Succession has been billed as an Adam McKay joint, which is interesting because even though McKay directed the pilot and he's the show's executive producer, the real showrunner is going to be Jesse Armstrong, who's best known for his work co-running Peep Show, which you've probably watched at two in the morning. And Peep Show's fucking amazing if you haven't seen it for one. But um, Succession's exciting because it's a fictional story playing on very real-life ideas about what happens when you have a Rupert Murdoch type who here is played by Brian Cox? Because of course he is. And what happens when that guy starts to lapse into senility and start entering into the autumn years of his life and his power-hungry children start circling the wagons to take over the family legacy? I don't know when Adam McKay decided that he was going to be Patty Shaevsky for the rest of his career instead <laughs> of doing stuff like Step Brothers, but The Big Short is fantastic, And I'm very into this as well. And this is going to be, I mean, it's an HBO limited series with a bunch of name actors. So, you know, it's going to be shoved down your throats all summer long. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it's one of the shows that looks like it's actually going to justify the pedigree, we hope. And if nothing else, anything that lets Kieran Culkin do weird, pissy character acting is already my favorite Uh, thing. Kieran
2: Culkin's back, baby.
1: Kieran Culkin is legit a really great actor yeah he's really good
2: uh alan ruck is in it so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that's gonna be great
1: uh otherwise known as the tourist from speed people are always like cameron and i'm like no no the tourist from speed Uh, mine
2: is the shitty captain of the enterprise (laughs) Uh, the one where kirk dies (laughs) uh
1: also what did a tour of the broadway musical the producers well i saw him i saw him play Not hair no not hair um, Nazi songs. <laughs> uh, I saw I saw him play the Matthew Broderick character on uh on tour and with the producers. He was very good. Nice, nice. Uh yeah, I'm really stoked about succession. Good choice, Dominic.
2: Nice. Allison, what about you?
1: Um, I am going to hopefully I have not started my screeners yet, so who <laughs> knows? It could be a real disappointment, but I doubt it. I am hoping to give tens 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 across the board to pose Mm. uh the ryan murphy series the last original series that ryan murphy is creating for fx um presumably that obviously that doesn't include future installments of american horror story or american crime story uh which those are both fx joints um but ryan murphy got a big fat fucking netflix deal so his new stuff after this point is all going to be on netflix for the time for the foreseeable future anyway He's going out with a passion project like the second season of American Crime Story. He is partnering with another writer. Uh, They are basically doing Paris is Burning, the TV series. Looking at ball culture in the 1980s in New York City, specifically in Harlem, and looking at different houses. If We've talked about this a little bit in the Summer TV preview. If you think that Madonna invented voguing, you are wrong. If you think that RuPaul invented all of the cute catchphrases on RuPaul's Drag Race, for the most part, you are wrong. Some of those are hers, but a lot of them come from Paris is Burning. Uh, I'm very excited about this show. It has the largest cast of transgender actors in TV history. There are a number of transgender writers on the show, and... um lgbtq uh producers performers all over, writers all over the place uh so i'm very excited about that uh, but also it just looks like it's gonna be really great <laughs> um so i'm very excited about pose
2: yes as am i because i believe i'm doing a pre-air
1: force. you are you yes. will be able to find clint's coverage Hooray. of pose on consequence of this week
2: pose. clint yeah. what did you pick well it wasn't the fifth season of arrested development because it stinks um, and you can find out why in my piece on uh, Consequence of Sound. Um, and also, I sort of didn't pick the new season of Kimmy Schmidt, even though I am looking forward to watching it just because it's the Titus Burgess show, basically, and I'm all for that. Um, but my real... <laughs> the
1: Allie Kemper show, come on, she's um, great. Yeah,
2: no, she, she is, And the Jane but...
1: Krakowski show. Yeah, they have yeah. a really good cast. They
2: do have a really good cast. Um, and, and the Carol Kane show. Yes. So I take that all back. I'm looking forward to that. But I wanted to give some oxygen to a show that um, is not premiering on Oxygen, but is on NBC. It's um, on what? Boobs, butts, wangs. Thanks. Um, but it will feature probably zero of those because it looks like a really safe kind of babies first sci-fi kind of thing. It's called Reverie. I only watched the trailer like an hour before we assembled, but I'm looking forward to it because the concept is really fascinating. It's basically kind of like Inception meets The Cell meets... NCIS, I don't know. Meets Ready Player One. Yeah, Meets Ready Player One, where um, it, this company called Reverie allows you to immerse yourself in this fantasy world, but a bunch of people have decided to stay there and have become comatose. So the head of the company, played by Dennis Haysbert, our first black president, hires this hostage negotiator to uh go into these people's dream worlds and convince them to come out. And I think it's a really interesting idea. Like,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, on a TV budget, I don't know how well they're going to do, like, wackier... Tarsamey stuff, but who knows? It might be fun, and I just like the idea of like a hostage negotiator having to go in and wake mm-hmm. people up from their dreams. Yeah,
1: I think it's a novel idea. The trailer is pretty slick. Yeah. Um, I'm also optimistic. I've not watched the pilot. It's sitting mm-hmm. there waiting for me, but I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm also yeah. optimistic about that. Reverie. Uh, well, hey.
2: Yeah. We, we did, did it. it. We did it. We're we heroes, it, everyone. Guys.
1: That was the month in TV in May. If you want to tell us how wrong we were or want to chat about the Americans. And by the way, I just want to say thank you to the several people who listened to the episode where I was so pissed that I had no one to talk to about the Americans and found me on Twitter to talk to me about the <laughs> Americans. Shout out to you. You absolutely made my week when that happened. Anyway, if you want to talk to us about any of this stuff, you can do so on Twitter at TV Party Cos. You can also find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Pod, or you can shoot us an email at TV Party at Consequence of sound.net If you want to talk to us individually because fuck those other guys, you can find <laughs> me on twitter at Allison Chu you can also hear me on the podcast podlander Drunkcast and outlander podcast that's on twitter at podlander cast Clint
2: you can find me on twitter at Alka Hollywood and as the co-host of the podcasts Alka Hollywood which you can find at alcohollywood.com and Nathan Rabin's happy cast which you can find at Nathan Dom
0: You can reach me intermittently on Twitter at D. Suzanne Mayer. You can also find all of my work at consequencesound.net, mostly film work. And also, you can listen to me hosting the Consequence Podcast Network show Filmography once again, starting on June
2: 5th when we premiere our month-long series on the works of Stanley Kubrick. You can leave us a review on iTunes, Podchaser, whatever your podcast platform may be. TV Party is, in fact, a production of the Consequence Podcast Network. Check out our expanding roster of music, film, and television
1: podcast programming at ConsequenceOfSound.net. This show is recorded and produced in Chicago, Illinois, and recorded and engineered by that one guy who just got another season of The Expanse for his winter birthday. We'll call it your half-birthday (laughs) Uh, I'm sure that's going to mean something to myself. Uh, Thank you all of you for listening. Thanks to John for being here. Thanks to me for providing the beer this week. Bye.
3: Consequence
0: Podcast Network.